are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and back again, Kevin Durso. How are you, bud? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. We had uh, we had last week off. I was at home for a wedding. Shout out Garrett and Jess. Congratulations. And uh, now we're back. We have some hockey to talk about. It's been a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's good. There's we're a lot starting of hockey to... to talk about in the last two weeks. They played a lot yes. of games. <laughs> and, and we're starting to kind of get into the flow of the season. And mm-hmm. uh, before we get into the flow of the show, follow us on Twitter, for everywhere, social media, at YWT Podcast. Follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Help us out over there. All right, getting right into it. Um, as we sit here today, mm-hmm. according to the NHL, the Flyers are five hundred. Now they're below. They're they're below five hundred when you include the fact that they've won seven games and lost eight games. But according to the NHL, five hundred seven seven and one through fifteen here. At least it's a very close to five hundred. We're not talking about like. They're not a disaster. Yeah. Well, we're right. not talking about five, seven, and three, and we're counting those ex- like you know what I mean. Right. And I know that doesn't make it five hundred. We're not talking right. or like six, they're not five, six, five, and five. Right. Or right. Or six, six, and three. Even where it's like, come on, they've won, six, lost nine. You know, no, it, they've right, won no, seven, lost eight, and I think that what you look at too is you're trying to look at. We've talked about this already with with the first handful of games that we got to in the last several shows. You're looking for competitiveness within games for the most part, and and they've had look, they've had a, they've had a few that by the final score were not very competitive in in the last handful of you know in the last handful of games. Certainly, but, but they had like let's this way we were just raving prior about you know look what they did against Dallas, look what they did against Vegas. You know they carried you know leads or tie games or whatever it was into the later stages of a game, and they did that with Carolina at the very start of this whole stretch since our last show. Right. Know, same thing. A, a game that was tied late, under four minutes to go. They give up the what was the game winner, and it, you know. But at least you know, and that's like the perfect rebuild game. You know that you're in it, but you don't win it, and you don't get points for it, so you don't get anything to show for it. But you. But played nobody's well. bummed about it, right? Right. But you played well, and you did some good things, and and certainly, you know, there's also an element to Carolina kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. Like they've kind of found their footing lately. At that particular time, which was almost two weeks ago, they were Carolina really was really, really struggling. But they were yeah. struggling. And I don't look that could be the amount of well, they didn't have Svechnikov at the time and he's back now. But they yep. also they also had some new faces. I mean, you know, yep. Orlov's new to the decor and they were getting some inconsistent goaltending. They they were just kind of struggling throughout that was the also lineup. before that was also before the Freddie Anderson news came out too, about you right. know, he's out indefinitely with the uh, was it a blood clot they found, right? So, Something like that, yeah. And we'd obviously I, wish I, him I a speedy was, recovery because that's always I, scary. It's the same. It was. It sounds like the same thing that Kimo Timonen went through. Mm, okay. He was, remember when he was kind of yep. supposed to play, and then all of a sudden it was, well, he can't. They found blood clots, and it's, it's crazy. dangerous. He's got to go through some stuff. So, and then the Blackhawks you know, traded for him anyway, and he still won well, the cup. Crazy. <laughs> they traded for him right as he was about to. Recover. I I know. I like, know. They waited it out, but like yeah, but he hadn't played a game. It's still risky out of them. Oh, I know um, that's true, but. But yeah, it is nice uh, to see Carolina kind of right the ship a little bit because uh, we do look at them as one of those teams that we expect to be a cup contender out of the Metro. So even though they are a division rival at this point in time where the Flyers are at, it's it's good to see a good team turn it around, right? Right. And well, yeah, sure. And well, and keep, him, other... keep him out of the basement. <laughs> I know. Um, well, and that, I guess that was the thing, too, because after they played Carolina, they kind of lost a hard luck game against Buffalo where 
I, I believe that the shot total at the end of the game was 40 to 15 and they lost the game five to two. Yeah, the score says five two. It's not a five two game. Let's be real. They, they, it's, they were the better team that night by far. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a two two game until the third period. It's a three or a three two game until seven and a half minutes left. I, you were in the game all the way. You were out shooting. You were score effects were oh, that, well, fully in effect. They, they got have and they got goalie big time that night. They got goalie outstanding in that game. And then the funny part was is he was back in gold two nights later, and then they got him for five. And yeah. they didn't play like they they still were the better team than Buffalo that night, but didn't play near as well as they did in that first game. Like you and know, still you know who did play well in that game though. Well, first yeah, career goal, Louis Belpedio. Let's go. Since then, he had to, he's added another one too. And you know, way, listen, he has established himself in this lineup. I'm just saying. For right now, he's earning he a roster has, spot. Yeah, like, well, well, here's you know what, you know what he's done. You're seeing why he was the guy that everybody told them to go with, right? Like, yes, I know that the immediate crutch is to sit there and go, well, Torts wants that guy because you know he's not going to play Emil Andre, he's not going to play Adderd or. Jinning or whatever, right? Like he's not going to play one of those guys, right? And and the reality right. is is that Torts just goes with what Briere and Ian Laperriere are going to go with because they're watching those games sure. too. Like Briere's going from one to the other frequently, you know, to go see of them course. for himself. Yeah, and, and Lappy's obviously going to give his input on guys and things like that, and that's who they picked. And I kind of was skeptical of it at the beginning because of the fact that my thought was is okay. I understand how you might come away with those other guys aren't ready yet. But isn't that also what you're kind of trying to figure out this season too is like, yeah, maybe they're not ready, but we're throwing them into the fire anyway because they've got to learn sometime. And instead of doing and, – and, and okay, Andre got thrown into the fire at the very beginning of the year because he played, but he, and he clearly looked overwhelmed, sure, and right. you send him down. So do you they send him down. Try, yep. but so do you not try a guy like Adderd and say, well, let's see how you do and see if you're ready, and if it doesn't work after six games, we send you down and – Jenning comes up or what you know what I mean like you could you could do a constant rotation they just went with the guy who so, seemed like he was having the better year and he's actually played well enough that he hasn't deserved to come out of the lineup like absolutely down, and I you know, yeah like I don't love that they pulled Igor Zamula in in the game against LA but fair. he had made some mistakes and yes it was a back-to-back and maybe you take a guy who doesn't play as like who hadn't played as frequently and say take a seat for a night and Victor Mete it's your turn you know, right, get a roast, get him, now what, and now you get an excuse to get him into a game as well. Like. Well, and what I am concerned about is, you know, I hope it's a one game. You know, it's a one off, and Zamul is back for Wednesday. I'd keep yeah. Elpedio, obviously, and then right. should come back out to finish the road trip. Like, absolutely, don't, don't get but, so attached to Victor Mete in the lineup because you want a game four to two in LA. That you know, but I, 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 I did want to say regarding the other guys that um, I, we've talked on this show a lot about. The players on the team are playing to win, and it is management's responsibility to put together a roster that isn't capable of winning, and that is kind of the uh, tug-of-war nature of the rebuild. Right. Um, I don't mind Danny Breer keeping your your Emil Andre, your Adam Jenning, those guys in Lehigh Valley because, A, I think they make your NHL team better, which is not necessarily what you want right now. And I don't okay. mind, and I and I also don't mind them playing top two, top four minutes in Lehigh Valley as opposed to third pair in the NHL. We've talked about well, that too, true. and just yeah, ice time is, is a factor as well. Sure, and that's that is a factor. I I will go back to Velpedio for a second because again I have to acknowledge how well he's played overall. 
He's got a couple of goals now. Um, but but can we talk about the hip check in Saturday's Oh, game? pretty. Like, the vintage nature of that play and just his, you know, again. Radko Gudish just shed a happy little tear somewhere. He, uh, I gotta, love I, a good I, hip check. I got a comment on the platform formerly known as Twitter. Somebody said that looked like Rob Blake going out there doing that. Okay. You know? And I got to I got to agree with that, you know. That's higher praise than Radko Gudis. <laughs> you know, like, I got to agree. It was, it's vintage. You don't see people do that that often, and he timed no. it perfectly. So, yep. like, how many times do you see somebody try to do that and they call a penalty because it's late? There is an art to it. You got to you, you can be late. You can be low. Like, there's a lot of ways you can right. screw that low, hit up. Call it tripping. If you're yep. late, it's interference. You know, yes. There's a lot of ways to screw that up, and hitting was, hitting someone clean like that is an art form. It really is. Uh, but either way, it's it's been nice to see out of Belpedio. I is he a is he an all star? No, and I understand that. No but is he is he a fun guy that we're gonna look back on in three or four years and go, hey, remember Louis Belpedio? And and it's gonna be fun, right? Like we, there's always those guys. And when you're getting through a rebuild, you need bodies. And even if he ends up kind of just being a body, it's fun while it lasts. He's, Louis Belpedio is gonna be a really good Puckdoku answer absolutely absolutely you're probably right five years from now it's gonna be like hey by the way remember when that guy played you know like you're right like uh, he's still part like there's like i don't see him being part of this five years from now because five maybe as a phantom you never know five years from now you hope that there's something enough defensemen in the organization that he just isn't anywhere close to playing yeah well like because you have to take you have to evolve at some point sure you know and, you know, to go off of just kind of keep continuing with where their record is and where the play has been, things like that, like, what you're trying to do right now, and again, like, it's results based upon um, trying to figure out who's going to stick, you know, and trying yes. to figure out, like, everything is, it should revolve around the other goals that you have for the team moving forward. And truthfully, think about something for a second, because we just said they're 7-7-1 seven, seven and one on, on the season already, and it's 15 games in. And yep. that's what that's where they're at, right? They could screw around and win thirty-five games this season. With oh, it's supremely not impossible. Absolutely. And uh, looking at the league, um, if we look towards the bottom of the standings, just very briefly, and we're not going to go crazy into this right now. I'm going to no, talk about. It would have been funny. It would have been funnier two games ago. That is fair. But no, I'm going to talk about teams with four wins or less at this point. Because I think if you have four wins or less, you're probably not looking at making the playoffs. Right now, Columbus, Calgary, Edmonton, San Jose. Okay. San Jose might be the worst team in the salary cap era. Um, Legitimately. Which is funny because they... Shocking. Sure. And then they also turned around a couple days later and beat Edmonton, who was the next team here. Edmonton uh, fired Jay Woodcroft on Sunday morning. Uh, Chris Knobloch is the new head coach. Paul Coffey on the bench. Uh, An assistant went with them. So, um. That is fully a kick in the ass with a little side of, hey, Connor. Hey, Connor, look who we hired. Please stay in Edmonton. Um, oh, you're getting to that point, yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you have to be. There's he's got what two years left on his deal. Well, it's yeah, it's time to start sucking up to Connor real good, real good. Because the so, second he says I want out, your franchise 
goes through some stuff. Well, he's also got the ability to play the best player in the world card, which is true. And Correct. And, yep. and you can just throw the bag at him, you know. Oh, and they will. Oh, and they will. But, they but I don't know. But I don't think the bag is going to be enough. Connor McDavid is going to be an un... I don't think I think Connor McDavid is going to be an unrestricted free agent. You think and his I, goal is just go and you know win. We'll go I, somewhere where it will win. Work. I think everyone is going to offer him thirteen, fourteen, fifteen million, whatever the number is. It's going to be stupid. But thirty-two teams are going to call him and offer it to him. And if they're not, they should. And if your team doesn't call and offer Connor McDavid fifteen million dollars a year, you fire him. Period. Um, Okay. It's the best player in 20 years, and he's hitting the free market in, at 27 or whatever it is, 28, like insane. Um, well, and what, every like, team, every team is going to throw the bag at him. He gets sure. to come out and have the ESPN special and say he's taken his talents to Toronto or to Detroit or. What if it did turn out to be Toronto? Seriously? Detroit. You think he'd go to Detroit? Well, I mean, you're close to where he's, he's, he's a ter- he's a Toronto boy. So he grew up across the lake. He well, played his junior in Erie. Yeah. He doesn't have to pay Canadian taxes. True. And look at that team. Look at that team. You're telling me Steve Eisman's not going to set that team up to throw a big fat offer at Connor McDavid? Do you want to put Alex DeBrincat on his wing? Oh, then DeBrincat played junior with him. Hello? <laughs> You Hello. We spent well, two, we spent 2 years talking about the Johnny Gaudreau tampering committee. They got to put together the McDavid tampering committee immediately. Sure. And Sign gonna... every Erie Otter who is anywhere near the NHL. Well, either either way, um because you're right about this. If you're pointing out the teams that have 4 wins or less by the way, this is the right. move that Edmonton's going to make to get out of that group. You know, yep, like that is this is their kick in the make, kick in the pants. All time and it's yep. through 13 games cuz they, they It's the right time to do it. Well, they got to go. Well, the ironic part of it is that they won on Saturday, so they actually did this after a win. Yeah, they but had. Um, they were two nine and one before then, obviously. Right. So it's like if you're two nine and one, and, and your most recent loss was San Jose, and and by the way, they even said they you could see them walking off of the bench, the coaching staff walking off the. Bench oh, they know. San Jose game going. I think it's over. Oh yeah, we'll see <laughs> like, you, boys. Well, yep. and, and and it was yes, yeah, so it was very predictable. You know, maybe the timing was a little unpredictable because they didn't do it immediately in that spot, and then they did like. And oh, by the way, assured everybody for the day, the day after, and the day following, like they're with, leading up to their next game. Oh, it wasn't going to happen today or tomorrow. Right. So it happened three days after that game. Like, it doesn't change the fact <laughs> that it was on the the writing was on the wall. But I like no. now like. Because this has happened, and it should be like you, we've seen this happen with so many. Craig Berube and the Blues. Wake wake up calls happen all the time when coaching changes are made. One, it turns and out it, when you have the two of the best five players in the world. It, it, sure. I don't think they needed a wake up call, but you just gave them one. Like and, I, and Connor also, McDavid's going to be a menace. Sure. Well, and also in the case of the team that they are, which take away the fact that they like, yes, I know they got McDavid and Drysaddle and all that. I get it. Oh, they're but bad. On top, but on top of no, but on top of that. This is a team that, just relatively speaking, and I look, I, I, I have my thoughts on their goaltending. I have my thoughts on their Ooh. game. It's not very good. I know. <sighs> um, which, which, by the way, is... The Darnell Nurse contract is atrocious. Oh, my God. Look, I like Darnell Nurse as a player. I Me think, too. I think At he's six. Good. He's, well, exactly. You know, Maybe you know what, seven. You know what contract you give Darnell Nurse? Okay. You give him the, you give him the Travis Sanheim contract. Okay. 
seven, seven, eight years and at 6.25, yep. you walk away happy because you know what you're getting from that guy for the next however many years. Almost a decade, yep. Right? And but but going to the like going to the nine and a half, oh, it's... You know, which which puts you now puts you into and it's the first name that pops into my head when this comes up because I'm not take I'm not taking one of the superstars here. Right, like I'm going to somebody who kind of is a little bit be like a little bit over his role for where he plays. Yeah. You gave him the Seth Jones contract. Yeah, you did. You, you know? absolutely yeah. did. I you, that you that matched... is the comparable, and they're both terrible contracts. Like you matched up comps and went, and and listen, can you blame Nurse for doing it? No. Oh no. Like, did you see what Chicago did? Darnell, congratulations, sir. Get that bag. But uh, my, my, man. my point is, is that even with all those things aside, now comes the wake up call, and this team was like pushing, knocking on the door for conference. Well, wasn't a conference final two years ago, and knocked yep. on the door last year. Like yep. The goal is make the playoffs and make a bit of a run because you've and, got, the, you got two of the top five players in the league. You got the best player in the world, and you got a second one who's in the top five. Like, if if the oil if the Oilers don't make the playoffs this year, I think there's a real chance that McDavid wants out. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, what did you see? You also saw after they lost to the Sharks, you saw the interview that Drysaddle gave. Yep. You know, can you tell the frustration level is up? The f- like. It, it, even it's that. even down to like a Vander Kane. You saw him talk about um, the fight. He's like, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm not playing well, so I just figured I'd spend seven or eight minutes in the box." Like, what? Because that's, that's the way they think. <laughs> that team's given up. Like, if your players are thinking like that, you have given up. Yeah. What are we doing, man? I, they got to make. They have to make a change. And like, I, I don't think firing Jay Woodcroft was the correct decision. I think he isn't. Excellent coach. Well, because I don't know what you what else you do though. Jack Campbell can't stop a beach ball. Well, and but that's an indictment on this is where I was getting at. Like you can look, teams do it all the time. You can put the blame on the coach all you want to. Ken Holland's got to go. It's an indictment of Ken Holland, exactly. Like well, you didn't, you know, your biggest weakness was clear to anybody with a pair of eyes. Yep. You know, who watched your team and goes. Your goaltending's a problem area. Right. And you could probably use another defenseman as well. Right. Right. I mean, like, the thing with the defense was is that Nurse is good. Like, he's not the contract level good, but he's good. And Bouchard was on the up and up. You know, he's he was rising. Like, we were talking about him in the playoffs a lot last year. Oh, yeah. Evan Bouchard's a stud. So he was rising, and you're sitting there going, all right, they're coming along defensively a little bit. Like, they've got two fixtures at this point. Realistically speaking, if Nurse is your fixture on the second pair and Bouchard's a top pair, let's just say, right? Then you're in a position where you've got a couple of guys that you can build. And your third pairing's your third pairing, by the way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be, like, flashy. You know who makes sense, right? What, for their D or for their goaltending? For their goaltending. You gonna tell me Carter Hart? I sure am. He's from Eastern Edmonton. I know. What do you? He's got two years left, making four million dollars. Four million dollars. You can trade him straight up for Campbell, and obviously, you will need more compensation. But contract for contract, you can take Campbell. You can get whatever assets you want. Basically, like I, they need I know, to I make it work. They need to make Connor McDavid happy. They gotta go, dude. They gotta go. And Carter Hart helps a lot. You go Carter Hart, Stuart Skinner is your tandem of the future. The way the NHL is going, where you're playing two goalies, you see Swayman and Olmark in Boston, you see DeSmith and uh, Demko in Vancouver. I, why not Hart and Stuart Skinner? 
I mean, I don't know. You know, I hear you. There's like a lot to kind of consider with that. Because Campbell signed a one-year deal, right? Like that deal doesn't have any term on it, does it? Um, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm, okay, looking, I'm looking it up. I wasn't but. paying that close attention to like. I'm pretty sure that was a one-year deal. Um, oh no, I'm sorry, I am wrong. That was a four-year deal. Never I mind. Say, I, I think, retract my statement. I, I do say, not think. <laughs> I I think there's still a framework there that makes sense where where Jack Campbell comes the other way and is the Flyers goalie through the rebuild. Like I don't think that's crazy. I, mean, I, I guess, but or like, at least one of the guys in the mix. Like I guess, but like at the same time, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get, you know, like I don't know that you can go with like you already did that with one goaltender that's in the system right now, you know. That's fair. That's what you did with the. That's what you did with the Cal Peterson decision, you know. Yeah, but that's it's not the end of the world. Cal Peterson, what's there two years left on Peterson this year and next? Yes, correct. Okay, it's a little bit different, but if you have four guys in your system, and it's Erickson, uh, Sandstrom, Peterson, Campbell, I'm fine with that. Honestly, so you put one of them in the NHL, one of them in the AHL. You know, for the old guys and the new guys, you figure it out. You make it work. Uh, nobody's taking the contract, so you can put them in the minors, right? Like, we saw Peterson pass through waivers easily. We saw Campbell pass through waivers this week. So, right. you can put them in the AHL. Yeah, uh, I, I don't – I just don't love the idea of doing it constantly. And and the, part, and the other part of the equation is, is that you're trying to figure out whether or not Carter Hart's part of this or not. You know, because you don't know what the timeline is going to look like. That's fair. Every other night – or I shouldn't even say every other night because let's be real. It's not every other night, but – Every time Boston College plays a game, I end up seeing another Cutter Gauthier clip. And every time the London Knights play, I see clips of Denver Barkey and Oliver Bonk. And every time Matt Mishkoff plays for Sochi, I see a clip. You know what I mean? Like, That's true. You're trying to build within that timeline. And the obvious cloud over Carter Hart aside for a moment. Of course. You're trying to figure out whether or not he's within that window because up until – believe it or not, the two biggest things with Carter Hart, and I'm bringing this up now, I guess, because we're already on him, is he's missed a little bit of time right now. Yes. Which should not be a surprise because, A, he's had injury struggles in the past. Yep. But also, you tell me what's supposed to happen when for your first t- 10 games he plays eight of them. <laughs> like, in short order. Like – you can't just run the guy into the ground from day one. Most goalies don't do this anymore. Especially when your roster's carrying three goalies. Like, it's it's not like he's... Listen, if if Carter Hart was your only decent goalie and you had a Mike McKenna behind him, you know, no offense to Mike McKenna, but I'm just picking a name here. If you have just a name behind him, then okay, I can see Carter Hart. Your team is starting well. I can see him playing seven or eight of these games. You know, you're out to a decent start. Right. John, you got three goalies on the roster. Well, this was the complaint I had when they had, when Arison finally got a start against Anaheim. And the other two are the two young kids you're supposed to be taking a look at. Well, this is this is the problem I had when Arison got a start against Anaheim. This is right before our last show, so this was not the one that they just played this weekend. Even though Arison played, we know that. But he, you know, he got a start there, and they he wasn't supposed to. Well, well, everybody this weekend right start their games. That's different. But he was supposed to start the other game against Anaheim. It was a one o'clock game on a Saturday afternoon. He got the start that day. Right. 
when it started to get out of hand, they're down 4 nothing in the game. Now, you're not going to change goalies because Carter Hart's sitting on the bench and yep. you want him for the next... You, uh, you just played him on... Uh, well, no, they didn't play him just that Friday. They didn't have a back-to-back. But you just played him for the two games leading up to during the week and you want yep. him for Carolina. So you're not going to change goalies. But the first time that Harrison played, Felix Sandstrom sat on the bench as the backup. So now Makes sense. Not a, yeah, so now you don't do that. So now he can't go into a game. And oh, by the way, guess what happened there? And this is another kind of whole thing with the situation. They send him down for a conditioning stint because he hasn't played. Yep. And he literally played two games, and in the second game, he got hurt. Well, and that's has- that's why the conditioning stint's there. Well, now he's got to go back for one probably whenever the injury's up just yep. so he can try to play again. And that's a disaster in and of itself. But, like, just balance it out better. Like, what do you think's going <sighs> to yeah. happen? Like, seriously, well, and especially when you consider, like, I understand you consider him your number one. I understand that you consider him a key part of the future if, you know, you're trying to build. Right, he's, 20, he's 25 years old. Like, even if it takes you three years to turn around, he's 28 and still has theoretically most of a decade left. Right. Like, and I, so yeah. I understand all of those factors. What I am trying to get at, though, is that, like, you can't play him like Andre Vasilevsky. No. no. And, and, and yet you tried to because so far what you basically did in the first 10 games, and I know that that's only a sample of the season, but in the first 10 games, he had 80% of the starts. Right. What does that equate to over 82? That's you know, a lot 80, of starts. Over 82, it's going to be like 65 starts. Yep, too many. Well, that's not going to work for him. You need to you need to balance them out. Especially I, while your team is bad. Again, like you're not pushing for a cup this year. For their goaltending, in terms, as far as I'm concerned, their balance for the goaltending needs to be like 50-32. Absolutely. You know, and that's still more like that still makes him a clear cut number one. You're not doing the goalie tandem well, like Boston does. Even with three goalies, I wouldn't hate seeing, you know, 40, 21, 21 type of thing. But well, I, the, the, the three goalie thing is going to clear itself up once some of the contracts that's, go away. That's like, fair. The, 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 the kind of irrational fear that they have right now. Like, here's the thing now. Don't you think that now you could send Felix Sandstrom down just straight up and he'd clear? Yeah. I know he doesn't make a lot of money, but he's just been hurt. Yeah. Don't you think now that it's getting to that point, like the irrational fear, like, yes, it wasn't really I, like I agree. It wasn't completely irrational at the start of the season when everybody's kind of looking for that quick, cheap, option. especially Tampa. Tampa. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to figure that out. And he makes less than a million dollars and he can play, you know, like, yep. like, like literally when I mean, and when I say that, what I mean is like, I'm not even saying that he has to be great. It's just he can get in there and play some games for you. And pass as an as a starter, right? And that's all you need out of a, an NHL caliber backup, right? Right. That's all you're looking for. You're now at the point where it's kind of become this irrational fear of losing him because you haven't played him. He hasn't seen it. He hasn't seen the ice in an NHL game yet, and the season's almost a quarter of the way through. Yeah. He, you know, so he hasn't seen the ice yet at the NHL level whatsoever. You don't seem interested in playing him, and. What are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, it, it finally gets to the point where it's like, well, what are we doing here? Because I got to imagine that the player at some point in time is going to go, well, if I'm not playing games, I got to figure out where else I'm going to go. Yep. You know, and you're getting to that point. And guess what's going to be just as bad as putting him on waivers and losing him for nothing or trying to work out a small trade, just letting him walk away from whatever contract he's got. Yep. It's equally as bad. So yeah, and that's the kind of thing that when you're when you're a rebuilding team, you can't afford to let assets go for nothing. And that's what I'm saying is you better figure out a way to make it work, and or like, and by make it work, I mean like figure out a solution to the to the thing. Because at least with Cal Peterson, I get where that situation is, and I and I will understand that was done out of necessity, right? But I will also understand if you can't trade him because the contract is the contract. You didn't sign it; you took it on to get something else that you wanted, which was a first round pick. And yeah, and this way. 
no one's going to complain about that trade with that first round pick if Oliver Bonk is in the NHL in a few years. Absolutely not. And playing decent, you know, playing well enough. No one's going to complain about that. I expect Oliver Bonk to be on the the Matt Vaymichkov team. Like by the time he gets over here, I expect Bonk to be if you've got a ready or timeline, just about ready. If you've got a three year timeline, you're getting close to that, yes. And yep. because at, at the very minimum, what that would be is two years of juniors, including this season that he's playing now. So two years of juniors, one year in the AHL. Welcome to the NHL. Kid, you know. By the way, something I, I wanted to say. We're talking and, and a little. No, by the way, with him at that point, he'd be 22 years old. That's not okay. Happening. Right. Exactly. Um, if he makes his NHL debut in the 22-23 window, you're doing well. Yeah. Something else I wanted to say. Somebody. We've been talking a little bit about kind of the bridge, right? The bridge to the end of the rebuild and what that's going to look like sure. and what that roster is going to look like. And and I've said some pretty harsh things on this show about what players kind of deserve to make it to the end of that bridge. One player through thir- through 15, 15 games here yep. has, in my opinion, cemented his place on that team. And that is Joel. And that is Joel Farabee. Oh, he's looked great. He know. is. He is a guy that we have talked about potentially trading because he was starting to underwhelm a little bit, and you can still get a good return for him. And you know, change right. of scenery. We we started throwing around all these crazy terms, and myself included. And and I don't think I had him on kind of my untouchable list when we broke it down over the season mm-hmm. or over the off season. Um, I he's back on the list. Yeah, well, <laughs> I I see him I see him with a letter I see him on that team I I I want Joel Farabee to be a flyer I'm back on Joel Farabee as a flyer forever that would be great and thank of, you like, and last like last year I kind of was a defender to your points and the big reason I was is because like listen I was prepared to join you on that front if this season went like last season because once he got the off season to actually train get stronger get healthy yep. the whole deal. If it still was what it was, then it's not good enough, and he's probably not part of the thing. But I wanted to see if he had the ability to get back to the pre-injury I, Joel Farabee. And, I, and I'm and that, that the scary part is, and I've seen people say this. You know, I think Charlie O'Connor said this on the platform formerly known as Twitter. I mean, that's a that's a mouthful. It was way easier to just say Twitter, wasn't that's it? That's fair. Yeah. Um, but but he said this the other day, where it's like it might be better than pre-injury, like. Well, it sh- I mean, and it should be, right? Like, look at his age and where his development curve should be. The system was is that if if that's if if he can even hit that for the surgery that he had, then it's like, well, that's still really solid, good. I mean, right? It, it, sure, he's not a top line player, but you that's look at really it, good to have in your middle six, right? So he turned it around to be. I, I still think he's maybe no. I still think his ceiling is probably second line, but second line leadership role, good second liner, yeah. You know, and. And the good news is, is his scoring rate, you know, he's got six goals already. So his scoring rate is kind of on par with that 25 goal range, which yep. again, if that's what he tops out at, then that's what he tops out. And that's okay though. Like that's he oh, sure. that range, like he was, he was on pace for based on the season that they played the shortened season. He was on pace for 30. They played basically two thirds of a season. He got to 20. He was on pace for 30. He seems to be on that kind of pace again, because we're not even a quarter of the way through the season. He's at six goals. If over the next five games he can get another two or three, you're in that range of 25 to 30 again, you know? Yep. You know, and re- actually, realistically, he gets one or two more. He's on pace, you know, one more in the next five games, and he's on pace for 28. Whew. 28 to 30. Pretty good. You know, that's, good. 
Yeah, that's where you want to be. You know, that's 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 the kind of player. And, and and I think what's better about him is like, yes, he's scoring a few goals. That's great. You know, we we seen him score goals too. But his he looks more confident. Right, his playmaking is kind of returned to the level that you want to see it at as well. He's and more he's more comfortable with the puck. He's comfortable being physical. Um, he has found some great chemistry with Bobby Brink when they've been playing together. The second point that you just made is the most important one, by the way, because last year he was afraid to be physical and afraid yes. to do the dirty work. And, and he's got it back to that. Right. And he's not he's not enormous, but he's got some weight and he's starting to throw it around. And he's Joel Faraby is the kind of player he will occasionally run somebody over. Sure. And it's not going to happen all the time, right? He's not a power forward, I, think, I wouldn't well, say. I think he's pulled back on the recklessness he had that he had as a rookie. You yes. know, like, like you got to remember at one point in time, I, I don't remember if it was his rookie season. I think it was his rookie season. It might have been his rookie season or his second season, one of the two. But he got suspended because he yep. drilled a guy in Winnipeg. You yep. know, and I don't think you know you're not seeing that guy anymore. You know, he's he hasn't you know he doesn't fight. He fought a couple guys as a rookie or as a second year player. He fought somebody you're, in the rookie game before his rookie year. Right, you're not seeing him fight guys anymore per se. He, you know, but he's definitely got that tenacity back and, and yes, that, that edge playing. Yes, yep. and that look that also it's great to say. On top of all that, it endears yourself to John Tortorella, who loves that kind of player. Well, sure, and I and I think he is a big reason as to why this team is just about 500 like we talked you and i chit chatted a little bit about before the show and we talked about sean couturier being back and cam atkinson being back and they they both look really good and kind of not pre-injury necessarily but they're getting there um but i think joel farabee is another guy that you got to put on that list and is a big reason why the flyers have seven wins in 15 games which I don't think either one of us would have predicted before the season. Well, there's two things about the. I'm not. I don't get surprised about the hot start, but but the thing that was going to be telling for me, and the last two games have really kind of changed my opinion a little bit. So they lose five nothing to L. A. Right. At home, L. We've talked about L. A. We said L. A. is a wagon. They're a really good team. You know, that wasn't all that shocking, and they and it wasn't as wide a you know wide a gap as five nothing indicates. It was two nothing after the first period. Both goals came short order later in the period, so the game was close for 15 minutes. Then LA scores two, and then it's still two nothing for most of the second period. And the same thing happened: two late goals, and suddenly it's out of reach. It's over. Right, know? right. And I get that, but the game against San Jose, where you had every reason to erase that LA game, and if you would have just played the game in the third period for the other two periods and looked like that from the jump. You probably win the game four to two. Probably, yeah. At least, but you didn't because you you came out and were flat, sloppy. Ter- it was. I mean, I put out there one of my posts on social was that there's a special place reserved in hell for that game tape. <laughs> the ugliest hockey games I've ever watched in my entire life. It's just, you know, San Jose's bad. I get it, and and you kind of knew to expect that. But when you watch them lose games 10-1 to 1 and 10-2 to 2 before that game, you're thinking the way the Flyers have played to this point this season, if they just play half of their game, they probably win. They're the game winning 6-0. Right. They win the game 5-1-2. They don't maybe score 10 goals, but they get halfway there because this is how bad that team is. And instead, they put, they spent two, two periods playing sloppy and kind of playing down. Yep. You know, and let, and let them hang around. And I'll, I'll be right up front with it. 
I didn't know what kind of game we were going to get. They scored less than two minutes in, and as soon as they scored a goal two within two minutes, Done. I went. No, I didn't say it was over, but my point was is that this is now a, it's now a possibility. It's yep. effective immediately. If you go the entire first period and they don't score, and then it kind of is a slow build, it's a slow build. It could happen. You know, I'm not saying that's impossible. But when they score right away, get the building Colorado, up. Colorado played a game against them that was one nothing the entire way until like three minutes left in regulation, tied the game, and then won in a shootout. That's the <laughs> one overtime loss. Right. You know what I mean? And Colorado's a way better team than the Flyers are. Oh, right? yeah. And yet you're sitting here going, wow, they like that was a game where they had a tough time, right? So it's possible. You can come out energized and ready to go and think that you have a shot and, you know, hang around but not win the game. Sure. In their Absolutely. Case, getting the lead early was like this big, you know, sigh of relief that we might be able to do this tonight. It's possible. And yeah. they carried it the rest of the way. And, and the whole time I'm watching – Turnover after turnover. Can't get through the neutral zone. Can't get anything set up. Yeah, they were getting shots, but they were weak shots. They weren't like they didn't put pressure on that team like they could have until the third period. And that's the uh, that was the ugly part of that game. And I looked at the way that that game ended. I said, okay, so here's here's the timeline moving forward. And just bear with me on it because it's like I, there was a lot to go through. Kind okay. of, there's a number of games ahead of it, but it's like. You just lost to the, to San Jose, who had no wins, lost the first 11 games of the year, 10 of them in regulation. By the way, outscored in the two games before you, 20 to 3. Like, Oof. I think I think the other number, by the way, was in the previous five games, they had been outscored 34 to 6 or something. Man. It was something pathetic. You they're, know? They're, really like crazy. I said, the Sharks really are god-awful. Well, come on, you've heard, and you've heard the jokes, too. Like, the, the joke going around was, is it possible to make an NHL team eligible for relegation? Because that would be the team. <sighs> you are you know, not easily. wrong. And you are entirely looked, not wrong. And I looked at the end of the, like, the end result of this game, and my thought process was, now you, first of all, you immediately, the first step is, you get to sit on this for two days. You don't play again until Friday. So, the embarrassment of being the first team to lose to this team, that couldn't win a game, it got outscored like they did, all that is you get to sit on it for two days and think about it right off yep. the bat. Then you play Anaheim, who has been certainly an upstart group to start the year. They've been, you know, probably, again, another team that we can put in the category of better than most people thought. You know, certainly. I mean, they're, they're, they're pulling off comeback wins against Boston, who hasn't lost anybody. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this is a team that was in position, basically, that was in position to get the number one pick last year. You know, they got number two. And, oh, by the way, the number two pick isn't half bad himself, by the way. Oh, pretty good. Uh, Leo Carlson is a pretty good player, right? Pretty, um, pretty, pretty good. But you have That team him. is starting to stack some talent. Well, right. and and the, But that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if everybody thought it was coming together right away this at the start of the season. And, oh, by the way, they still don't have Drysdale. Right. He hasn't played. <laughs> so they still don't have him. But right. Everybody but, else is pitching, and like, like, like the, say, start, the start that Mason McTavish is off to has, has been great. Mason like, McTavish is stupid, stupid, yeah, and oh, Pavel Min, pa- Pavel Minchikov looks great running their power play too. Sure does. And he sure does. I go, like, pick, picked him up for the fantasy team, baby. Oh, see, I have McTavish this year, so McTavish has been lighting it up pretty. Good. I got Minchikov off the waiver wire. That's pretty good. Stupid. Um, anyway, so, but you're going in to play Anaheim, who just beat you the week before. Like, you know, beat, beat you. Pretty much the week before, seven to four. Yeah, like, uh oh, okay, that's a team with some offensive firepower. It's going to go against your team that just played as weak as they did in San Jose. Right. A literal night after, you get the team that shut you out five nothing the night before. Right, you're looking at a tough weekend. <laughs> right, so you're looking at a tough weekend back to back. 
get another three days off, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, play Wednesday in Carolina, who's yep. turning it around, as we said. Uh-oh. Yep. That'll be okay. a tough game. Yep. Two more days off. Weekend, you know, start a weekend back-to-back at home. First game, Vegas, who also feels like they haven't lost anybody. In the middle of the day. <laughs> right, in the middle of the day, of which 1 o'clock games for this team have been have been a disaster. Yep. Um, and then finally, okay, like Columbus is the next day, but it is the back end of a back-to-back, and you're yep. going to have to be prepared for that. And who's your goalie? Well, yeah, too, that's true. Well, yep. by that point, the possibility, like as as the Carter Hart possibility of course. Came, came along, because he's apparently he's not hurt anymore. He's just He's just dead. ill, right. Which, you know, look, I get it. It's it's look, it's tricky to navigate illness sometimes because you can wake up feeling great and then get to twelve o'clock or one o'clock and be like, uh, I don't yep. feel so good anymore. Yeah, and it's it seemed like it was a bit of a late change for the for the Saturday game in Anaheim. Or I'm sorry, the Friday game in Anaheim. It seemed like um, he was gonna play until kind of the last minute, no? No, that was the other way around. That was okay, that was Saturday. Okay. Friday it was they got to they got to Anaheim, they practiced on Thursday. They announced that Hart should be ready to go from my right. which was would have been strictly from my right, right, right. And then after the morning skate, they announced he was sick. And then right. The next morning, it was no. Yeah. Carter's not going. Okay. It's going to be Harrison tonight, and and Harrison played really well in that game. Yeah. Let's just say we just mentioned Leo Carlson, who did ultimately get the hat trick in the game. Right. He probably. I mean, he had a fourth goal on his stick. Oh yeah. And Harrison robbed him with the glove. And by the way, you talked about the Ducks winning that first game seven to four. The Flyers bounced back and won this one six to three in Anaheim. So, you know, they have Anaheim split the season series. Anaheim got hat tricks in both though, because Toronto had one in Philly and then Leo Carlson gets another one. I think at least, Anaheim. Anaheim at least Leo Carlson's a good player. Anaheim's got like four hat tricks already this year or something like that. That's wild. Like that. It's kind of whatever. It Does, doesn't Frank Vetrano have two or three of them? He has two of them, I think. And okay. I, I thought that um Maybe it's Troy Terry who had the other one or something like that, I think. Okay. Because Terry's had, a, I think, had a couple. Of his He's had a really nice little start. Absolutely. Well, they've got that group locked up now, too, don't forget. Like, Terry signed a contract. Zeger signed a contract. It's like Pat Verbeek's a hard negotiator, but he has that entire core locked up except for Drysdale. And once they get... What, for, well, I'm going to tell you what. For hiring a relatively unknown coach to a lot of people... Oh, Yeah. They're, they're handling it really well. Like, he's got a good system. I mean, he, and he's not been afraid. Like, he's got a little torts in him. Because <laughs> he sat people down. Like, yeah. He's not afraid to sit a guy, you know, and, and kind of hold that accountability across the whole thing. But that's actually, you know what? That's a good segue to the next point because I had to write a, I like Speaking of sitting guys. Well, I had, to, look, I stayed out of this for the longest time because it seemed to be a polarizing issue. And I kind of talked about it on our last show because it was a topic, but yeah. I didn't really write anything on it. And then this happened and I ended up writing on it because I finally had an angle to it that I. Because too many times, if you bring, and this is one of the things I've said from the very beginning about this whole issue, is by including Morgan Frost's name in this conversation, it becomes a like it becomes like a court case. And I say that meaning that you have people who are the defense and people who are like the prosecutors. Right. And you've got you know you've got one side who's trying to tell you all the things that are wrong with the situation, like in terms of all the things that are wrong with the player. I should say. Like, right. Everything that, oh, this is why he sits, because he doesn't do this. He's not this. He's this. Blah, blah, you know, this is all that stuff. And then you got the defenders who are going to tell you, but he does this, he does this, he does this. And it becomes this debate over the player it himself, where I, I keep trying to take the player's name out of the picture and just try to describe him based on, describe him by age, describe him by draft. And I know draft position doesn't matter, but I'm saying the part of the equation is that you're supposed to be, as we said, you're in a year where the real goal is what development. 
No, but what or, do you have? Yeah. Who's going to stick in the picture long term? Because you can go by the progress of last year when you gave everybody playing time, and you're supposed to kind of do it again and see how much you can push them to. What right. do we need? You know, how do we rebuild this thing to get what we need? But you got to find out. And even and you can make up your mind tomorrow or, or yesterday or whatever on Morgan Frost and say he's not part of this thing. You could make your mind up like that right away. But you're not doing any favors to anybody by sitting a guy down and saying you're just not going to play. Right. You know what I mean? Like if your intention is, well, he's not going to be part of our future, but we got to give him a future somewhere because we need to also in advance our future. Oh, who wants to trade for a guy who hasn't played? Right. Then, then it, it clearly makes him damage good to every other team in the league because he's obviously sitting for a reason. Wow, he can't even make the Flyers lineup. He's got to right. be garbage. Why would I give you a third round pick well, for and, and him? I want to like I'll bring another player into this as an example because this is a, this is an easy way to identify this. Sean Walker, and this has nothing okay. to do with Walker as a player, but I'm just going off of this because Sean Walker, the thing that we've heard all along, and Torts likes his compete level and all stuff like that, says he's a competitor, all that stuff like that. But he always goes back to. Do you know how I know that he's a competitor? Because the day we got him, I called Todd McClellan, and McClellan said, he, he, you're going to love him for his compete level. Okay. So coaches talk, which means right. that if he sits there and goes, well, Morgan Frost might be on our radar. Let me call Torts and find out what he doesn't like. What's what's the deal with this kid? Well, what's Torts saying? Well, he's a big old lazy bum. Like, right. what like, are we saying? By, are you by getting the, John Tortorella about this? Like. By the way, Sean Walker, third on the team in ice time, by the way, just a hair under 21 minutes a game. But he's kind of earned it, has he not? No, no, absolutely. No, I'm that's what I'm saying. He has played well enough that that position is pretty justified, in my opinion. Like, he's quarterbacking the second power play unit, which I don't know if it's crazy. Good, which I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, because we'll talk about that in a second, <laughs> how the power play looks. But he, he is there, which means he's getting rewarded either way. So... If this season was about finding out what you have in certain players, like, let's be clear about something right off the bat. Not every player who's on the roster currently or near the roster, like, that could be called up or whatever, not every 23 or 24-year-old player is in the end result of a rebuild. Absolutely. It doesn't happen that Can't way. be. Can't well, be. Not, and I'll tell you why it can't be also, because it can't be because of the fact that everybody is subject to replacement by the 18-year-old that you just picked. Absolutely. You Who's know. making well and it's all it all has to do with the salary and cap. Even, and I'm not even talking about like putting a specific on it and going like, oh, it's Mishkop. You know what I mean? It, right. You're picking an eighteen year old, but the idea that he's gonna make your team. Well, right. The Theor theoretically you're gonna pick at least one or two more in the top half of the first round, right. let's say, yeah. over the next two years. So like this is something we're gonna have to deal with over and over again. Sure. And like let's put it this way too. That in Frost's case, Mishkov's typically a winger. You know, yes, they've tried him at center a couple times. Uh, he's probably going to be a winger at the NHL level. Well, and, and right now, by the way, in Sochi, he's getting consistent right wing time. Okay, like you fantastic. Yeah, it's great. But Cutter Gauthier's been playing center, and right away you're thinking, well, what happens when when he signs? You got to put him in a center spot. Whose whose spot is he taking? Yep. And you know how they feel about Sean Couturier. You know how they feel about Noah Cates, and you know how they feel about Scott Scott Lawton. I know Scott Lawton hasn't played center. Scott Lawton's been on the wing for him, yeah. Well, he's been he's kind of been again, he's been the Swiss Army knife guy because if Paling plays, then he's on the wing. If he if he doesn't play, he's playing center. You know, right. And, and that back and forth thing. And by the way, Mitchkoff twenty points in twenty two games, which in the KHL is uh pretty good. Pretty good. Ten goals. It's also especially pretty good when you're eighteen. Uh, right. Hello. Eighteen year olds don't do that. Nope. You know, not in the K, you know. Nope. But, 
Nope. Whatever. Pretty um, pretty good. He's on pace for 27 this they, year, look, which is pretty good. They've got guys, like, that's the thing. I And I named all four of them kind of pretty much because you can't deny the Like, Denver Barkey's off to a great start in the OHL, and he's not even, like, close to the top scorers in that league. But he is, I think he's pretty close to the top scorers if you're going by guys who were just drafted who are in that age group. Like, not over age. If you're not, talk, yeah. if you're not talking about 19 and 20-year-olds who are on their last leg with this thing, He's right up there. Like, okay. he a four, like, I think he just had a four-point game not long ago. Yes, I remember seeing and, that. And, like, and Bonk's picked it up, too. And, like, Bonk, obviously, is not necessarily going to be, like, the most offensive guy, but you're looking for both sides. And the and London then, Knights are a wagon, and we talk about it every show. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then Gautier playing in BC right now, who is quite, like, the more I see it, the more I sit there and I go, I don't know how he's not a Hobie Baker finalist. I don't know how it does. it comes to that. I have a feeling he'll get himself in that conversation. Well, especially when you consider everybody else who left, like Fantilli goes pro and Cooley yep. goes pro, and it's like, you just took two of the guys out of the picture. Right, there's a little you bit know, of a he, power vacuum there. Right, and he, like, he's, he seems like he's the guy. I mean, like, there's... I, I can't and I think they finally ran out of Hughes brothers, so there's not even one of those floating around. Um, it's yeah, I think so. You think you're I right. think they ran out. But but even like even the guys who were just drafted that are like top five or close, top ten, they because they had a few. Obviously, BC does right. Of course, he's still better than all of them so far. Right, like he's been better than Will Smith and Gabe Perot and Ryan Leonard so far. And that's not to say that those guys have played bad. They've played really well. It's yeah, he's next level because he's a year older. He's gonna yes. be. He's right at the top of this list. And um, he is gonna transition. I don't know about seamlessly. Like, there's always some sort of transition, but he, I think he's going to transition pretty well to pro right. hockey. I'm encouraged. What I'm encouraged yeah. about for him is that by playing at World Championships, I think that it'll be a little easier. That's okay. one thing I'm encouraged about. But back to Frost and stuff like that for a second. Yeah. We do this. If you're trying to, because what's the thing we've heard from day one, and this was my argument about, because again, I'm taking Frost. Play the kids. One. Well, play the kids is one. And even so, okay, play the kids. You can still, Frost could sit out a game. I, and you're still playing kids. Of course. Like, Forrester, like Forrester's in the lineup, Brink's in the lineup, and defensively you've got a you got a young core. Like, yes, you can take those guys out. Like, you can take one of those guys out, and you're still technically playing kids. I get it. Um, the thing that we also heard, though, was land of opportunity. Yep. Well, it doesn't feel like a land of opportunity for a guy who, as of the 13th game of the season when they played in San Jose, had missed six, seven. So he had six games played, seven on the bench in the press box. That doesn't sound like the land of opportunity to me. That sounds like taking one guy and putting him in a doghouse. It sounds like you're picking on somebody. <laughs> and the problem I have with that is if you're trying to set a standard, and we've heard a lot of that too, right? Then the standard needs to be equal across the board because today it's Morgan Frost. Tomorrow it's who? Like, are we going to go through the same thing? And, I, and I'm using a better player as an example, but are we going to go through the same thing with Gautier? Are we going right. to go through the same thing with Mishkov even? Yeah. Like, how do you know? Because well, this is how John Tortorella gets when he comes up with an idea of who of how this player is, right? I have a pretty good feeling, and I don't know this for sure, but just given the average tenure of an NHL coach, I'm not so sure if John Tortorella is going to be here by the time Matt Faye Mishkov gets here. That's possible. He will be when Gautier gets here, though. And that's fair, fair. And and all I'm saying is, is that it's it's that that creates a fear of if he's gonna do this the way that he does it, which is clear. Like one of the other examples I gave during this whole thing was okay. Set aside the part where it's Frost, who's 24, has sat all these games. Oh, by the way, they rotated in Brink and Forrester at the very beginning of the year. That's swapping out two 20, uh, a 20, you know, two 23 year olds 
or 23 and 22, or, or t- they're both 22, I think is what it is. Um, defensively, Zamula and Andre were splitting time, and that's swapping out a 23-year-old and a 21-year-old. Meanwhile, and I like this is the other example I'm going to use because I texted this to you earlier in the week. Cam York makes a mistake and gets benched for the third period. Nick Sealer makes a mistake and you get oh he's so valuable to our hockey. You team. get he gets the benefit of the doubt because he's because he's a veteran. Old. He's good the, and, you know he's a veteran and he's good in the room. Yep. You know what I mean? And and like the same thing happens with Nick Delorier too because it's like I understand they're good in the room, but you can be good to your teammates and do things like go out to dinner and treat a young player sure. well without Absolutely. playing in the game. And I'm not trying to take Nick Delorier out of the lineup. He's He's been in there for a reason. I think it's fine the reason he's been in there. Like honestly, But there are like, other ways to lead. It's not even there's other ways to lead. It's why was it the same guy? The first chance you had to make that decision, it was Frost again when there were right. four other candidates who could come out. Forrester being one of them. Like, and I know Forrester yep. from close, too, to scoring a goal. But it was the same difference, was it not? Yeah. That Forrester and Frost had no nothing to show for a bunch of stuff. So then what's the difference so far? You're picking right. on one guy, kind of, and you're moving. And the standard is hard to set when the goalposts are shifted right. when and, from players. And, of course, there may, thing, may be things we don't know, right? Like, maybe Morgan Frost has a poor attitude about it. And I don't know anything. I'm not sure. speculating anything. But maybe Morgan Frost has a poor attitude about it. And Tyson Forrester, you know, keeps his head up and stays chipper and blah, 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 blah. And it Here. might just be something as simple as that. And I don't expect Torts to come out and just absolutely torch Frost and go, well, his attitude stinks. So we sit and... No, Except I actually kind of do because he probably would just say that. But like, and and I and I get that he didn't want to answer the question. But like after the San Jose game, he asked if it was a difficult decision to take for us. Nope. And went no, and he backtracked on it. And he backtracked on it the next day because he said he didn't want to answer the question at that moment. But the fact of the matter remains that it comes across like nope, not difficult at all because I don't like him. All right. I yanked him because he sucks. Yep. Right, because I don't like what he's doing, so I pulled him. Done deal. End of story. And I'm the coach, right? Like, you know what I mean. The example that I give it to, and maybe this is because I'm married to one, but I use a teacher example because, and I want like think about it. When you're in a class, if you're in a class and you're the student, like, and and you have a teacher who's up there explaining something and trying to give a message and get a point across, right? And they start talking about all this stuff, right? Like they'll talk about what you need to do. It's about the fine details, whatever. And it could be depending on a variety of factors. It could depend on your track record, like your grades. It could depend on your attitude. It could depend on how you behave in class, whatever it may be. But every now and then a teacher will sit there and kind of look straight at you or the person that they kind of have beef with or that they don't think is doing the best that they could do. And they kind of throw a like, like, like I'll, I'll kind of role play it right now for you okay. to an extent. So if you're talking about all the things that Morgan Frost needs to do, right? Like you go, you know, you got to work, you, not working hard enough along the boards, got to be willing to get into the dirty areas and make some plays because you see how, you know, these guys do it or whatever. It's about fine details. It's about, you know, man, maybe we need to go to the net more. Right, Kyle? Right. What did I, what did I just do in front of the whole room, right? Like, now Put you just directly on the spot. Right, now yep. you just brought it to the attention that you're trying to get a point across and you have something specific that you're trying to get the point across to. Yep. And then, and, you that... can formula, and then you also can formulate your opinion based on those other things. Like grades are like your stats. You know, you can go look at the stats afterwards and say, well, look at what the numbers say and look at what all of our analytics say and all this, that, and the other thing. And I, I'm just going to go, you know, and behavior is like the eye test in towards his mind, right? Like, oh, you know, like he just doesn't show up enough for me. I or like a teacher would sit there and tell you he's fidgety in class. I don't like how he's fidgety. It looks like he's not paying any attention. He's not invested in, you know, whatever. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it creates these impressions of, of people where and and the same thing happens on the opposite sense, where if you have like 
the star student, in your opinion, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best student, but that they're working as hard as they can to be the best. Just because just they're a your la, favorite student doesn't mean they're the best. A la, no, but a la Noah Cates or Owen Tippett, for example, then the same thing applies, right? Like, then you're kind of looking at them with a different – because the, to, to you, your, their track record is – they're good enough, you know. They are. Uh, I expect this from them. So one bad test or one bad quiz or whatever isn't going to change my opinion. Right. Or one bad day, like answering questions in front of a class, it's not going to change my opinion on them because typically they're better than that. So I'm not going to lose sight of that. But th- but the student that I don't like, you know what I mean? I'm going to keep uh, and I'm going to and I'm going to use him as an example in the class. And I'm going to use yep. him like in this case. You're going to make an example out of him. Right, I'm going to yep. make an example out of him. But I'm going to make an example out of him. In terms of participation, I'm going to make an example out of them in meetings. Like in terms of when they do film work, I'm sure that you're getting like I'm sure that they're pointing out certain guys. Right. I'm sure that some of them are directed, and 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 I, like that's why I throw Cam York into the mix too, because York kind of gets this treatment too, because it's the same thing. Like like I said, it's it's the same thing as York makes a mistake, you end up benched or a series of mistakes. I'm going to put him on the bench for an entire period and make it clearly obvious, right? Right. Same guy does it who's 30 years old. Nah, it's okay. Not a problem. He'll bounce back. And but why? Because I love what he brings to the team. He's so valuable. Right. You know? Yep. And he's not part of the whole picture. And sometimes you just have to look up and also acknowledge when everybody's bad. You know? Like, right. San Jose but, game doesn't provide you with anything, so you can't pick anybody out of that group. Right. And and the other thing about all this is that none of this can really be all that surprising, right? Like this is John Tortorella being who John Tortorella is. Right. But this is where he's he's done this going back forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> but that's where the questions arise because sure he's done this going back as long as he's been a coach. But when you're coaching Tampa to a Stanley Cup, or you're coaching the Rangers into the you know deeper parts of the playoffs, or you're coaching in Columbus and trying to make the playoffs, you're supposed to be sitting the the kids, finding the best players. You're not in a rebuild trying to find out what you have, and it creates this cloud of then why is he still then why is he still your coach? Because they think that he can do those things, and and to an extent, like here's the thing: if you can bring like. if Frost is the one-off in this, and, and if Frost is also doing things that go along with the, the notion of it. Like, right. like, the part that I have a problem with is Frost had the strongest second half of the season last year point-wise. He was the leader in points, and I get that. And you owe it to the player at this point, at 24 years old, to see, can you top it? Can you match it? Can you do, you know, can you play to that level? Because if you can't, then we have more information about where you belong in this rebuild. But if you just give up right away, think about it. Right. It two games. He pl- they played two games, and, and, and they had one bad game in Ottawa, and all of a sudden it was, well, He's that's, done. The I'm, that's the guy I'm moving. And he yep. didn't play for six more games. That's yep. that's where it's absurd because you're you're not giving him a fair shot to replicate it. He, he sat out one game last year. Right. And that was it. And whether that was by necessity because he didn't have Couturier and Atkinson and all stuff like that, and that's the thing about them. Like like I said earlier in, er, earlier in the show, they might screw around this year and win 35 games. Truly. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing is, is if you can come away from each game, like what can we do with the last handful of games? Truthfully, go look at the last handful of games. Frost scores two goals against LA. Well, that's good. The 24 year old player scored two goals. Help lead your team to a win. You won six, three against Anaheim. Tippett had two goals and Sanheim's doing some things. And, you know, 
Louis Belpedio scored a goal for you there. Yep. I mean, I'm not throwing Belpedio into the typical. No, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just, I'm looking for something fun to say. About we him. love Louis Belpedio on this show. I refuse to hear any Louis Belpedio slander. But that, but that happens. Sam Harrison gets a win for you there. Looked really good in doing that. You go to the Buffalo game and Brink scored a goal. Like if you can pull away from wins, you know, good positive results. That, yeah. That it's also led by the younger players that you're trying to figure out more about then that's positive but if it's all veteran driven like when they if when they win a game because they haven't had one like this yet it's kind of been balanced because you got both yeah so it's but if they win a game four to one and sure like let's start with carter hart stands on his head and helps you win that game which it's not that he's not part of the rebuild but maybe it's not sustainable because that goaltending play is not gonna be that you can't expect that out of him every night right right so that's number one let's say cam atkinson scores two of the goals and Sean Walker scores another one, and Garnet Hathaway scores the fourth one. You know, so it's four guys who don't factor into the picture as long term, or the scoring happens very opportunistic, or that you scored four goals on 19 shots because it was that kind of shooting night, you know, from a shooting percentage standpoint, then it's kind of unrealistic and it's fool's gold that you're winning games like that. If you're winning games by playing better than the other team and it's largely driven by your younger players, then you might screw around and win a bunch of games because you're just getting that much better and they're all part of the picture. But if they're not, then you have to still make those tough decisions because at the end of the day, Cam Atkinson scored a goal last night too. Yep. Right? Scored on Saturday night against L.A. That's what now? Eight on the year, I believe it was? Something like that. He's lighting it up. And that's all well and good. But you can't lose sight of the fact that uh, that at his age and with his contract status, what's the logical next move? He's not going to be part of this thing at some point. Correct. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Like you, He's got another full year left in the contract. You may still not be able to trade it. But the best thing that you've got going for you right now is that, yes, he is scoring. He's playing well. And it's going to bring it's going to mean he has value to somebody down the road. You're not going to tell me there's not teams out there that are looking at him scoring eight goals a year or eight goals early this early in the year on a pace to probably get to 40. Right. Right. And say, I wouldn't want to add that to my team at, at under six million dollars. I'll it, do it. Absolutely. That is 100 percent an asset that you can flip. And the, and the Walker example is a really good one because Walker is really here on a rental contract. And it's been great that you're getting more out of him than you thought. But the idea is that you can't lose sight of the fact that because of that, someone may overpay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, Sean Walker is a guy that I'm willing to see towards overplay. Like, I'm okay. Oh, yes. Right. Given the circumstances, given the fact that he's got one year left, given the fact that it's a movable deal, right. given that it's a defenseman, which is always in higher demand than forwards just because there's only six of them on your, on your lineup. Right. I'm okay with Torts pumping his tires, kind of no matter what, if it's working. Frankly, I'm I'm yeah. I'm willing to give him if he wants to play Sean Walker 26 minutes a night, go for it. Right. Now the, the fear of that is, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the Frost situation a little bit too, because if Frost's not playing, and you either have visions of him playing to find out what he is and if he fits into your rebuild, or if you've already made the decision anyway, but you've got to get some value up for him to be moved, one way or the other. It kind of goes against the idea that what they, what what did they also say at the very early stages of the offseason when the new era thing was being introduced? It was that the three of them were going to work together. 
that it was going to be Torts and Briere and Jonesy, and it was going to be the worst. And also Val Camillo, who's gone. And I'm I'm talking about strictly from the rock. Oh, from the hockey. Okay, okay. The hockey upside, that it was going to be a triumvirate of hockey operations, people, Torts included, that they were going to be kind of working together to figure out what direction this needs to go, right? And there are times where it feels like that's not the case right now because – if you were in Danny Briere's shoes, you should be getting into Torts' ear about the fact that, like, you can't just sit the guy out for six straight games. You've got to figure out a way to make this work. Right. Like, like this, you can't. Like, well, this kid's well, a recent first-round draft pick. You can't be doing meetings, this. But even if your meetings are, I don't know if he's part of our future, but we've got to play him a little bit because if he's going to be moved, we've got to keep him in the lineup. You can't just hey, we got to show him off. We've got to give like at least show that he belongs in the lineup in some way, even if he's not the best player. Right. You know. And but and of course, Torch probably doesn't want to hear that because he's trying to win games by putting the best lineup on the ice. But you've got to be realistic about what your best lineup is sometimes in terms of I watched Frost sit out games. The rest of the lineup looked like crap. And it's like, well, then he can't be the worst one. Like he, there's got to be other players who you could do this with and at least create a rotation. You know, right. Something. There has to be something. And, and the other part of the equation is and this comes into a, the case with like a guy like Walker is this is where Torch's influence can't be so high because you can't let Torts talk the other two into, well, we should keep him. Fair. You know what I mean? Like, right. He's, he's, he's good for the year. boys. He's you can't lose sight on the three-year plan here. Yes. And, and I hope, I pray, that Danny and Jonesy have the bigger picture in mind. I think they do. What I'm worried about is, is that they get overruled because all of a sudden, from one, literal one season to the next, because Torts only had one year. Right, so literal one season to the next. Torts went from being the new guy to being the most established part of that hockey ops <sighs> triumvirate. But that's only because everybody else got fired out from underneath him. Like, right. he didn't do anything to climb the ladder. The ladder got pulled out from under everybody above right. him. There's, but you also, but, but remember who you're working with is all I'm saying because yeah. the ego can swell when you're the guy who's at the top, and it's like, well, Danny, you're the new guy, you know. <sighs> you've never worked in hockey ops before trust me on this one then, i know what i'm doing you know what i mean and then that and that creates this and that's what i'm saying like if i don't know that it's at that point or that it won't be or whatever but like you can like a player all you want to you just have to keep your eyes on the prize here and the prize is the end result of the rebuild not you know so just be realistic is all i'm trying to say i'm gonna go out there on a limb and say that if 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 Dan Hilferty hired Danny Briere and Keith Jones for their respective roles and didn't properly vet that they would be able to stand up to John Tortorella, right. then we just need to start all over again and Comcast needs a new CEO. Because, like, I, if, if that's... We just did this. We just did this for 40 years and it didn't work. It's just we talk new era orange. It's gonna be the same era of mediocrity, right? Because you cannot have your head coach overriding your general manager and your president of hockey ops when it comes to keeping Sean Walker. Unacceptable, unacceptable. Tear the whole franchise apart and start over. Well, and again, the other part the, right? Well, and the other part of the equation is, is that you're getting lucky right now in the sense that Walker gets to be showcased because. Rasmus Ristolainen is not coming back anytime yep. soon, apparently. And Mark Stahl is still out with injury, too. So which, which your... by the way, I think is a major factor as to why your de- your defense has actually looked reasonable this year. 
addition by subtraction. Not so much, not so much with wrist aligning because I think wrist aligning could make it a little bit better with the physicality, and and he's done some things offensively. Maybe. Like, well, like, like okay, like let's put it this way: I would slide. You know, I'm trying to think. Like if you t- if you told me wrist aligning was replacing sealer, I would give you like I think you would have some improvement there. Maybe that's fair, but you know Nick I mean? Sealer just isn't an yeah, NHL well, and, player. And, and, and let's be realistic: for as well as Belpedi was played, if wrist aligning played over Belpedi, that's fair. Probably better. Like, let's be real. Probably, probably. But this is the thing, though. I want. I like this is again. I'd be curious. What do you do when one of them comes back? Is it just so easy that Belpedio comes out and goes back to the minors? <sighs> that's probably the easiest, the easy answer, yeah. Because he just doesn't have the name or the pedigree or anything. Well, like, and that's fine because he's not necessarily a guy who I think is going to be here long term either. Right. Like, I would love to also see you just have the guts to sit there and go, Risto's back, Sealer's coming out, Belpedio's staying in. That I'd would like be fantastic. That. I just want to see him have the guts to do it because, you know, even if it's only for a game or two, even if you give Sealer a game or two off and then you send Belpedio back to the minors, I'd like to see the choice get made at least temporarily. Why not? And I'm not trying to use Belpedio as the only example here. Just right. I want to see you have the guts to actually sit some of these guys. Yep. Like, in the sense that when they're the weakest link, when you look at everybody you put in, if you evaluate it properly, just I want to see you do it. I'm not By the way, if they don't bring something to the table. I'm just trying to sit here and say that they're not the end all be all. And if you want to see everybody, you should like, honestly, you should you should actually be curious enough with the way Belpedio's played that you should kind of want to see him next to somebody who's not Nick Sealer or Victor or not Nick Sealer, not not um, Igor Zamula or Victor Mete. I'd love to see him next to the best defenseman you've had all season, by the way, which, by the way, is Travis Sanheim, who all of a sudden looks like that contract's not so terrible. And he's still making a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It might still be a little bit, you know, know, you know, there's a reason for that as well, by the way. But Travis Sanheim looks really good so far. Yes, he does. And I give the player a lot of credit for doing the things he needed to do to get better. But I also want to talk about Tortorella in this case as well, because they were not exactly at the best, you know, at the best either coming into the year or after the going into the offseason, at least after last year. Yeah. After last year. And. I kind of have a like this kind of ties into the Frost thing as well because Frost just re-upped this year. He just re-signed in the mm-hmm. year deal, right? So obviously he's here with the intention that there's two years to go on this thing and, and whatnot, right? Like right. he's going to be here for two years to figure it out. But two years is not that long that you can't move it. Correct. You know what I mean? When you sign somebody literally before he's ever played a, a regular season game in front of the new head coach and you sign him to an extension like they did with Travis Sanheim, what you found out in the offseason is that you can formulate your opinion of him, and you can say that you don't know if he's part of the picture, and you can try to trade him. And if yep. it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And the, and, the, and the market told you everything you needed to know about it because you thought you had somebody to take yep. him, yep. and it didn't work out. And To be fair. Fair. It didn't work out because a player didn't waive player their no bailed. trade protection. So it, it wasn't anything well, like the organization bailed on it or oh, like it I was something it. beyond the Flyers' control. But either way, when that came into play and he was going to start the year here, the other part of the equation was is you now had to talk to the player and kind of make it clear that it wasn't going to be. It's a- not that we don't like you. <laughs> Well, it, right. right, you're trying to... Right, like after you just tried to trade him. It's not that we don't like you. It's a good deal came along and we had yep. to, you know... Challenge, but the challenge to John Tortorella was make it work because he's yep. got eight years on the contract. Make it work. Like, well, that, this, this, is, yep. like this isn't Kevin Hayes where you, you're going to win. You've got to figure out a way to. Yep. And 
what did well, now do? he's and now he's got trade protection, right? Well, he yes, he does. But but what did they do with him so far this season? They've kind of taken the reins off a little bit. They've told him to play more aggressively up from an offensive standpoint. And boy, has he! His minutes. All of a sudden, and he didn't get any points last in the game in LA, but he did. He had a three-point game against Anaheim. Oh. What did that equate to? All of a sudden, fourteen and fourteen. He was a point per game player going into Saturday. Yep. And when games into the season. Do you know, by the way, and I'm going to pull it up for a second because I, I, okay. I have to update a little bit. I did this with um, – I was about to ask, when's the last time a Flyers defenseman was point per game? Uh, that's a good question. Was it uh, Ghost rookie year? And like, I, don't e- I don't even think he maintained that, but he had it for you know the first whatever. But well, the, I, clo- the closest thing was um, – the closest thing would be um, – when in Ghost's third year, when he put up what was it, sixty-five? I think in the season, that was probably the. Closest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! He, he was so good that, that year. year. Um, God, remember when the Flyers had a good power play? Oh, that's yeah. We, we do have to get to that. <laughs> oh, rest um, in peace. Well, we'll get there in a minute. So, I what I want to do is I'm going back to Travis Sanheim's game log from last season. Okay. Because I want you to try to tell me. When you think that Travis Sanheim got his 14 points? Oh, we talked about this. We did this on the last show. It was like in oh, December, wasn't it? Hold on. Well, we can continue to do it because, by the way, before all right, before I do this really quick, let me go just actually give you the final. So just, just for a second here, he's played 15 games this season, two goals, 14 points. We just said that, right? Yep. 81 last year. He had seven goals and 23 points. So he's already nine points shy of his total from last <sighs> He'll get that by Christmas pretty close at this point um so give me a second to actually like calculate this okay his 14th point last year i'm gonna guess okay i found his 14th point you said he ended with 23 yes i found his 14th point and february 17th no it's it was was earlier than okay it, I, what, what I'm gonna, the way I'm gonna ask this to you is, you can give me, you can give me two different answers, and I'll give it to you correctly. You can either give me the date or tell me what game number it was. Okay. Like how far into the season did he play? Because right, right now, like we just said, he got to 14 in 14. Right. So how Fifth, many games did he play last year to get to 14? 46. Not bad. It's less than that. Okay. Okay. Where are we at? So his. 14th point of the season last year came on December 23rd, Oof. but that was 35 games into the season, so it took him nearly half of the season to get to 14, wow. and then obviously he cooled off again for stretches down the street, like late right. season, and didn't but put so up did everybody. Well, kind of, yes. That team was oh, because okay. Here's here's your reason. You're probably wondering, well, how did he get to 14 in that length of time? Because we had mentioned that like 10 games in, he only had one point last year. Like that's how yep. long it took him to get get any points. Um, he had a stretch in right around the, I'll, I'll just say right around Thanksgiving. So literally about the week we're coming into. Yeah, they played. So it was what was this the night before Thanksgiving? They played Washington and lost in overtime. He had an assist. Um, the next game was on Black Friday. He had an assist. Didn't have any points against the Islanders in the game after that, and then went on a four-game point streak after with five points total. So that was what did I just say. So it was five, six, seven points in six game or in seven games. So he Something had a like that, run. yeah. And actually, the two games before the one I mentioned to start the whole thing, he had a goal and an assist against Montreal as well. 
Okay. Um, and had two there. So he had nine and nine, I think it was. He's, yeah, so he's been a little streaky, and obviously he could just cool off and, you know, not score for two months. Like, that is that is a very real possibility in his game. Sure. Well, and, but, but at least right now what you're seeing is, like we said, by, like 15 games into last season, he had two assists. That was it. Right. He didn't even have a goal until the 18th game of the season, which is exactly where I'm starting, like, that kind of timeline. So right. He didn't get on a real point roll until... 18 games, 20 games into the season, and he's already nine points shy of his total from last year. And oh, by the yeah, way, he looks good. And oh, by the way, if we're really keeping track of all the other stuff, by the way, the season before was 80 games, seven goals, 31 points. That's, um, sorry, no, that's not career high. I'm sorry. His first full season in 2018 19, he had nine goals and 35 points. But even okay. then, he's on track for that too. Yep. Yeah, he's he's looking good. Like again, obviously he could cool off, but as of right now, through fifteen games, the goals made the goals made because he's not really as much of a goal scorer. And two no. goals so far is you're like if you're nearing the quarter mark, if you're still at two goals at the quarter mark, you're on pace for eight. Although the one where he drove the net, that was pretty. Oh, the fourth one, yeah, the fourth one in Anaheim, right across the front of the mouth goal mouth, just what, absolutely. For, I texted you this too, like for. For two teams that don't exactly have the highest of hopes in the world. That was a fun game. Fun game. Yeah, I, I think it was good because the talent level was good, right? Like, if, if one of these teams is playing Colorado, you're expecting certain things. If one of these teams is playing blah, blah, blah. But these are these are teams kind of on a similar level. I'm, I'm not surprised they, they've been some good fun games. But also helped is it was totally wide open. I mean, there was oh, yeah. There's before. no defense. Yeah. The, the two best defensemen in that game were Travis Sanheim and Radko Gudis, and that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> At the very least, the Flyers only gave up one even-strength goal in the game, two power play goals. Wild. So, all right. Uh, power play, really quick. Yeah. Power play real quick, and then we'll do a quick little look ahead, and we'll get on out of here. Yeah. Because um, the power play's been terrible. Let's just... Terrible. And... Um, it has been. It feels like it's been eighty-four years since the Flyers had a good power play. It's it's really hard to play fifteen games of an NHL season and come away with four total power play goals. Yeah, I mean, it's bad and not what you want to say. It's the. It is probably the most glaring issue they have because goaltending has been fairly solid. I mean, they've had some rough games goaltending wise, but it's been fairly solid. I mean, let's put it this way. Now you have wins across the board for, you know, Carter Hart's won a couple, you know, won a few games. Arison's won a couple of games. And now you've got Cal Peterson with a win, too. By the way, Fly- Flyers are tied for last in the league in power play percentage sure with the are. St. Louis Blues. Yep. Who, by the way, I think the Blues scored a couple of power play goals in their last game, which probably helped that because the Blues scored eight, eight goals in Saturday. Uh, something like that. They scored a bunch. Eight, eight to two, yes. And right yeah. away, I'm going through really quick. Well, they had a shorthanded goal. There's a power play goal. There's another power play goal. They had two power play goals and two shorthanded goals in addition to four even strength goals. Oof, crazy. But, but this is the thing. For a team that bad, power play-wise, two power play goals will elevate your percentage pretty well. Like Oh, absolutely. Night, which means that when the Flyers went 0 for again against L.A. and Anaheim, for that matter, because I don't know how far back it goes at this point, but they're like, oh, for their last 25 or something like that. I, I need you to look at the, the Dallas-Minnesota breakdown from Sunday. Because you're talking about goals not scored five on five. There were 11 goals in this game. Three of them were three of them were five on five. Oh, when, I, when I last checked, I think it was 4-3 Dallas. So 8-3 I, is kind of a shocker. Yeah, with two power play goals and a shorty power in the third period. period. 
couple of even or three even strength in the first period. Pa- two. two power play for Dallas and one power play for Min- for Minnesota in the second period. And a power two play more, goal in the first period. Two crazy. more power plays and a shorthanded in. Wow, Wyatt Johnson again. Dallas was five. Wyatt Dallas Johnson was five for eight on the power play. That is stupid. Sorry. Um, Wyatt Johnson is killing it this year, by the way. Oh, yeah. I think seven was at seven goals, and I got six assists. He's got 13 points already. Crazy. Dallas is doing some things, man. Dallas is a good team. Hey, I had them as my Stanley Cup pick. Rope Hintz is having a good season. Miro Heiskanen's having a good oh, you, season. You Jason Robertson's warming up. I just wanted that Rope Hintz mention. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. But. Um, <laughs> in just this game alone, by the way, so Robertson had three points. Johnston had three points. Heiskanen had three assists. Like, Yeah, he did. They have like four other guys who had two points. Jamie Benn had two assists. Sagan had two assists. Duchesne had a goal and an assist. Did everybody in the t- No, not everybody. There's a hand- I think there's two, fo- two forwards didn't have a point and four defensemen. Dallas is a good team. Um, all right, Flyers power play. Anything else we got on that? <laughs> Um, oh yeah, sure, of course. Okay. Well, power plays. A the power play stinks. Bad. It's bad, 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 bad. Um, yeah. they are really going to the well to try different things to the point where, at one point in time, they had Morgan Frost net front. Now they've got Tyson Forrester net front. This is a guy who's got a shot, by the way. But Tyson oh, Forrester yeah. net front because the idea is let one bounce off of him and maybe it'll go in so it can boost his confidence. Like that's where we're at with this level of, of this type of stuff, and it's it's really throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks, obviously. But right. also, but also like just this idea that I don't know. Like you can try all the stuff you want to. At the end of the day, if you don't, you know, they keep talking about simplifying it, and right? If they don't do the thing that simplifies it the most, which is have the guy who quarterbacks the thing shoot the puck. You know, <laughs> crazy. What a concept. You know, because everything right now is trying to pass for the perfect play every yep. time, and it's, it's. I think they're. Of, I think they're nervous about that shot getting blocked out to center, and it goes the other way because they're well, so aggressive on the penalty kill that they're they're assuming other teams are going to be doing it too. Well, it goes hand in hand with the other problem that they have, which is, and I, I'm calling it shooting accuracy because if I say shooting percentage, it's based off of how many goals you shots score. on net, right? It's well because I've I haven't seen a team like this one that has probably four or five guys that we could say have a really solid shot, right? Like if we, yeah. if we took a look at like the, the nicest goals that some of these guys have scored, Konechny can shoot it really well. Farabee can shoot it really well. Forrester's got an, uh, got an above average shot. Tippett's got a cannon. Tippett's got a shot. Brink has shown a shot at times, but not, yep. all, not, not, I wouldn't say he's the headliner of the group. Obviously. Uh, fair, fair. But Brink has shown a shot on occasion. Um, Certainly, you know Cam Atkinson's got you know got scorers touch. You know, a bunch of these guys, and, and and there's more to come, obviously, as you go through. You know, as we get like further and further with it, but these guys miss the net so much, so much. Like, like, like I, I'm gen- hire a shooting coach. Hire a shooting coach. Because, yeah, I mean, break out the shooter tutor and get somebody who teaches you how to use everything. Because like. It's uh, look. The process is rushed. They they feel rushed to take these. The thing that really gets me when I watch this is forget about like even forget about the shooting coach angle of this for a second. Everybody's in the NHL for a reason, right? Sure, absolutely. I can watch a bunch of different players, and it and, and it nearly happened like three or four times in the game they played against Buffalo a couple weeks back, because they even had a, Buffalo even had a goal taken away that right. was a nice shot, right? 
every time I turn around, a guy gets space, takes a shot, picks his spot, hits the spot, and goes in right. all the time against them. Right there, and if you give an NHL player time and space in a scoring position, he's pretty likely to score on average. Like how many times am I like? And this is why it goes hand in hand with the power play too, because it, it it can be this type of thing. It can be that you know, it can be that setup where the guy's on the flank and you're just trying to get it to him, you know, within that one timer position. Right. Or, or or the guy who stands out and you know who's in the bumper position, who's standing in the slot waiting for that pass from low to high, maybe or something like that. Whatever you want to do, right? How many times do they get that opportunity potentially and they miss the net with it? How many times do we watch all the time? How many times do we watch teams against them? You know, hello, San Jose scored a goal just like that. Yep. William Eklund standing there waiting for it, gets it, shoots it, goes in, finishes it. And, yep. and it may not even be in the spot that you're trying to get it to, but it's on net and you're forcing the goalie to make a save. Yep. You know, you're doing it by that's that speed by puck movement and and even off, like we've seen guys off the rush do it. And I'm not trying to take away yep. from the fact that the Flyers had in Anaheim specifically, by the way. I was going to say the Anaheim game. game it, well, yeah. no, but we brought up the Sanheim goal that was pretty. Tippett had a really nice one. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to take away from that type of stuff. Sure, there are still good things that happen. Right. How many times do we see them play a game and miss these opportunities? And, a lot. And I wonder how many games would change. Like, truthfully, this is one of the areas where Tortorella is right. They can come away from games and look through what the scoring chances say and actually say they were in a lot of these games because they get scoring chances. They're right. generally they just need to hit the net more. But they're missing the net a lot. Right. And like like I genuinely would like They're they're really know. taking that they're really taking that you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take things super seriously. <laughs> I guess so, but they're missing the ones they do take. Right. Like that's the problem with that whole thing. I, like, you know, yeah. I just I just wish that they would fake like find a way to figure that out because like you know it's like you know what's been nice about and it's kind of going back to something we've already talked about in the show a little bit but what's nice about watching the cutter goatee highlights and i know it's all of like it's highlights which means it's always going to have kind of a good result to it yeah where he misses the net on occasion too but there's a lot of times where he's taking a shot and you're going like does this guy miss i mean here's right. here's one for example too he scored a goal i think on a power play on a one-timer from, like, by the way, he's, like, the left... He's shooting, like, a left-handed Ovechkin on some of these power plays. Because he goes to the dot, and he stands there, and somebody gets to him, and he just unleashes it. Love he's that. like that. But he came in and entered the zone, took a shot, and, yes, it's going to go down as a miss. It hit the post. Like, like yeah. right there, you're still picking a spot and trying to maybe get posted in, and you missed by an inch, and it doesn't go in instead. And then you scored five seconds later anyway like it would be great like like when that shows up that would be like that's gonna be like earth shattering for this team and absolutely and, and, like this kind of ties into the san jose game a little bit too because the san jose game was ugly it was sloppy we've already said that obviously but but what did it show more than anything they you know, yeah, yeah, they've got players like Sean Couturier and Cam Atkinson in, in the veteran group. Yeah, they've got some up-and-comers that they've got, but they still don't have a star. Right. Like they, they still don't have that guy right now who takes it all over. Like, even when they do kind of take over a game, it's like this line is playing well. So the three yes. of them are playing well enough that they're having a really good game, but it's not one guy. Like, even when Tippett's scoring goals, because Tippett had three goals over the weekend. Yeah. And you're going, well... He yeah he made a play on the one and that was really impressive because he made it like got control of the puck made a move around Vetrano got in on goal scored a goal. Right. But, but what about the one that he scores to open the scoring against LA where it's Sean Walker makes the play blocks a shot gets a lead pass to him now you go finish it. 
It's just a, a good shooter on a breakaway, right? But it goes hand in hand. You, you didn't create the opportunity by being like super elite. You were in the right place at the right time to help create that. So, you know what I mean? Like, like you have a role in it, but so does somebody else. So it's it's always kind of like at least two or three guys working together, not one guy who you sit there and you come away from the game and be like, well, he was the best player on the ice clearly, and he did all this stuff. Like, even in a loss when they played Anaheim, even in a loss. Leo Carlson was the guy who you're like, well, better watch him. He's, he's good. Yep. He's taking this game over. Absolutely. He was doing it by himself, not and, any Flyers. And the Flyers are missing that takeover talent, and it yeah. haven't had that takeover talent in a long time. They and, and that's the hard sell in a rebuild yeah. because you're still watching a team that doesn't have the superstar. Exactly. And, and the hard part. It's, it's tough to sell – and obviously, I think the Flyers have done a really decent job, honestly. But it's tough to sell your fan base on, all right, so we have a star, but like he'll be here in three years. <laughs> and they've done a decent job, and they've, they've found a good way to kind of get you excited to get in the building with the Bobby Brinks and the, the, the young players, the Cam Yorks. This, there, is, there are things to build around, but as of right now, no, I, I do think you're right. They are missing that. Takeover talent. Because you're just starting the rebuild. Exactly. Exactly. You're still stocking the cupboard. But the idea, and and then, but see, this is is what lends to the other side of the conversation, which is yes, like you're still a ways away from those guys. Like OTA and Mishkov could be the first of those two types of guys who could potentially be in that group. Absolutely. We we see them, but you still want to have more opportunities at that level of player. So winning doesn't help that equation. And certainly, like, you know, look, they're still not in the clear completely from like being one of those teams. Like it was, it was interesting because when they lost to San Jose and they were where they were in the standings. By the way, it was like becoming very apparent really quickly, especially if they didn't gain any points in Anaheim or LA, which was we're going to start a, slipping real quick. Which was also a distinct possibility because it was like, hey, listen, for as bad as Calgary was when they started the year, they would if the Flyers got no more points this weekend and, and didn't win those two games, they were at eleven points going in. Yep, it would have been one point ahead of Calgary. And it would have been like well, right towards the bottom. How, and how about this? If Edmonton would have continued to win the games, they, did, they would have been within four. Yep. Like that would have been like think about it. You would have well, been and, very dangerously close to being the team that goes to like second worst in the standings. And, and it was I only above San Jose. It's funny because I think that actually transi- transitions as well to looking ahead here because I sure. I do think that this week is going to be a week that's going to be tough for the Flyers to get points. Um, you're traveling across the country. I know you have a couple of days off, but you're traveling across the country and playing in Carolina, and you have a home game against Vegas and Columbus. Columbus is the only game that you're looking at as probable points in some fashion. Um, if you can steal a point against Carolina or Vegas, you feel pretty okay about it at this point in time. Um, the thing with Carolina, this is such an interesting schedule, by the way, because both teams are going to play Wednesday and having not played since Sunday. Okay. Like, like I almost like for a second I was wondering if there's like are the Flyers going to be the well-rested team coming in and Carolina will have played on Monday or Tuesday or something like that. Right. Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. haven't played they'll have played Saturday and not since, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and and they traveled from Tampa in the same time zone. And <laughs> Right. I mean, the Flyers do get it like honestly. Of course, there's a couple days, it's not a big deal. But if you're going to come back from California for a week, and then get a couple yeah, but, of days to sit and wait. No, to sit at least sit and wait before you play a team like that. That's fair. I'm sure, but Carolina has all of a sudden 
like or not I won't say all of a sudden, but they quickly vaulted themselves into second in the division after a, right. after a slower start. Like you look at where the Rangers are. The Rangers haven't started slow at all. Like the Rangers got off to a good start. They've only lost three games on the year so far. They've got twenty one points. They're actually currently playing as we speak and losing at the moment by a goal to Columbus, by the way, which is really interesting. That is funny. But nonetheless, like you're right, you know what I'm saying. Like they've been off to such a good start, but Carolina has kind of come on and become the team that we thought they were going to be yeah. after that start. Like at one point yeah. in time, weren't they like four and five on the season? Or something they were like in rough shape. They were. They might have been worse than that. They might have been three saying, and five. Well, it, okay, even so, yeah. the thing is that now they're nine and six. It, yeah, they're back. Well, if you go from Rod's, five to nine and six, you win in five of your last six. You're doing something. something Rod, Rod's got the boys going again. So, and, and, and like you didn't think they would. And right, then, and then of course the defending Stanley Cup champions come to come to Philly, and that's Stanley never Cup an easy matchup. Won twelve of fifteen to start. It, like only had one of the best, one of the best like starts after winning a cup in NHL history. And also, so has Boston to just defy absolutely everybody once again. But uh, whatever, I uh, maybe one day I'll give Boston the credit they deserve. Well, <laughs> and here's the thing, like with Columbus too, because Columbus is definitely the team on this list that is the most likely to be a win. That's your winnable game, yeah. Like. But if they also were able to play a team like the Rangers tough and things like that, one of the things you have to also consider, I, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that the, uh, oh, I'm going to check obviously, but I'm, I'm assuming as I'm checking that the Columbus, yeah, Columbus plays in Washington the night before as well. That's actually really interesting. So this is what makes it even more winnable for the Flyers is they're going to play Vegas at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. Columbus is playing in Washington at 7.30 on Saturday and then has okay. a 5.30 start against on Sunday against the Flyers. So... That's a really quick turnaround. Who knows who their goalie's going to be? Um, you know, how they're going to handle all that. So you've got a lot of things to consider with that. And, you know, right now, that probably makes, like you said, that probably makes it the winnable game. But yeah, otherwise, like, you know, and then, and then you're into the week. Like, again, it's a weird schedule right now because they've got a lot of breaks in between. Like, that was my other theory of the whole thing with the points. Like, if they didn't win this weekend after losing to San Jose and gained no points... Then for three days, other teams are playing while you're yep. sitting there. And then you play Carolina. And then two more days go by and you don't play again. And then you play the defending cup champs. Right. Like, it's... You might gain no points in those five games and everybody else is passing you. Well, and all of a sudden it starts to feel pretty bleak because you just haven't won in a week and a half. <laughs> they um, like the scary part was is when they did, when they didn't win in, L in, or in San Jose. And I thought that was going to be the, like, the win of the week. When they didn't win that one after losing to, I mean, look, the first loss was still L.A., I get it. Like, they only had two in a row at that point. But I looked and I went, Anaheim and L.A. could be two more. Now it's four. Carolina, five. Vegas, six. And if they lose to the, the Blue Jackets for seven, then it's two. It's Islanders, Rangers, Islanders. And, and at literally the same time, right up against the same weekend of the season, you could be looking at another ten. Yep. All, all very losable. <laughs> In their own way. I mean, there's, right. there's. Look, I'm not going to mention we don't have time today today to do it, but there's been some there's been some trouble brewing in uh, Long Island. Yeah, yeah, and we we will get into that maybe on our next show. We'll see well, how the time goes well, on that. that. Well, so that's an interesting thing because of the fact that when that schedule becomes the looking ahead portion, and there's two games <laughs> against them, just just hypothetically speaking, what happens if you steal one against Carolina this time because you came close last time? You know what happens? Absolutely. And then beat Columbus like you think you're supposed to, and you've got maybe two more winnable ones in front of you. Like sure, and and we talk about it all the time. 
the skill gap in the NHL is smaller than it's ever been. The the well, the other reason, yeah, I know, and the other reason I'm bringing it up is because what else? What else do we always talk about all the time? We're coming up on that date. You know, yep. that, that, that Thanksgiving, you, getting the playoffs, Thanksgiving, and it's, oh. you know, if you're there, like, like one of the teams that I put in that picture right away as I, as I look at everything is, you know, Detroit's one of them because Detroit got off to a really good start. But I also sit there and I go, Anaheim was one of them, to be honest, because Anaheim, See, it's like if they're in the picture at that time, why not go for it? Yeah. That's an indication that they could be there throughout the year and they're right. Out, OK, well, better yet, they're well, especially if the Oilers are not right. That just opens up another spot in an already weak Pacific division. Here's a better one for you instead. Anaheim dropped out of the playoff picture because they lost on Saturday or on Friday. Right. OK, probably. But, you know, who is in the playoff picture and what happens if they stay there for another two weeks from now? The Arizona Coyotes have the last wild card spot. Today. Ooh, that's fun and exciting. And I'm just and all I'm trying to get it with that is, is that. At American Thanksgiving, you start to think, and that's gonna—I guarantee you—that when we do the show two weeks from now, when we're just past it, that's gonna be the basis of half of the show. Oh it's yeah, who's in the playoff spots at that marker? Because we will absolutely by that, point, by that yeah. point. You know what else you're at? That is the quarter mark. Yep. Yeah. So, well, right, and that's why I think that's a good little indicator. But so really, so really quickly before we wrap the show, you want to you wanted to mention this, right? Yeah. So we do have one more serious story here before we get out of here. Um, it came up, this came out Sunday morning. Yeah, it was announced on Sunday that uh, former Flyers goaltender Roman Chekmonik has passed away at the age of fifty-two. Um, it West doesn't. Side. It was it was sudden. It doesn't feel like we know a whole lot about it. Um, we do just want to um, extend our best wishes to his f- friends and family. Obviously, it's a it's a yeah. really tough time. Uh, Roman Chekmonik is is a crazy story because he was drafted in the sixth round of the two thousand draft at twenty nine years old. <laughs> came straight into the NHL and was a, a runner up for the Vezina Trophy, literally in his first season. It, he played three years in Philadelphia. Um, his save percentages in his three years in Philadelphia were 921, 921, and 925. He was ridiculous. Uh, goals against were 201, 205, and a 183 in 2002, 2003. And yes, I know that that's the peak of dead puck era, but a sub two goals against average is ridiculous. And I remember as a kid being devastated when they moved on from Czechmonic because that was at the height of the Flyers goaltending carousel, right? Like the post Hextall carousel where Czechmonic's there, Van Beesbrook's there, Neil Little is a Phantoms goalie who plays some games. There's Brian Boucher makes a couple of trips through Philadelphia. Robert Esch. Robert Esch is there. Like the the names go on and on. And Taro Nittamaki. The the names go on and on and on about Flyers goaltenders from the early 2000s. And from a statistical perspective, not many were better than Czechmonic. Sure. Well, the the draft story that you like you just mentioned yeah. I, I it's not exactly the same by age obviously but i kind of liken it to another philadelphia athlete right now it's kind of like the jordan mylotta story yes like a guy who you took a flyer on late in a draft you know in, in like a late round or a middle like in that case i think in, in that year's draft it would have been a middle round because it was like nine still at that point right yeah something like that something um, like that yeah um, but you take a chance on a guy and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, like with a little bit of help, he's all pro, you know, he's like an yep. all-star level guy, you know, and he's playing that well. Um, but yeah, like, it, you know, and the interesting part about Czech Monik was it was, it was, 
it was not like a long-term thing by any stretch. Like you're right. The goalie carousel was turning big time at that point. It was real. Yeah. yeah. And one of the ironic things was, is I was having a conversation on Saturday night. I had like, I was hanging out with somebody for, with a friend for like the hours leading up to when the game, cause the yeah. 1030, yeah. 1030 starts out for a lot of downtime before they actually start. It's right? tough. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a buddy of mine who's a Bruins fan who was, so we were watching the Bruins Canadians game. We were talking a little bit. Cause one of the things we brought up was, cause I asked him, are you going down to, uh, the game when Recky gets put in the Flyers Hall of Fame because it's against Boston and he usually likes to try to go down to the center sure. whenever Boston's in town and I brought up the alumni game too and we started kind of pitching back and forth the idea of who would be there or whatever because earlier this week well, I'll mention this while we're on it too because earlier this week they confirmed Mike Richards is going to play in the alumni game yeah we love um, to see that but... which is a really cool story and it clearly shows again it's another guy who like you know hasn't been like hasn't been playing in the NHL, which which then makes him an alum of right. the NHL, so to speak, yes. but hadn't been back to anything like this for a while either. So now he's coming back for this, which is cool. Um, It'll be nice to see Rich Richie. And there's absolutely and there's a lot of guys who you can start to do because because my first thought was is okay, listen, they're gonna make they're doing this big celebration for the '74 Cup team, and I believe like the alumni association, the Flyers alumni anyway, just put a post out recently that pretty much every surviving member of that team is making it. That is awesome to hear. Just, like just about, it's like yeah. if it's not all of them, it's close. Um, but obviously, they're not going to play in an alumni game. Like most of these guys are retired from that, right? Of course, right. Um, so my immediate thought was: is what's the next biggest thing that happened against the Boston Bruins? The twenty ten. And Mike Richards is part of it. Oh, by the yep. way, I found I saw something today about how Simone Gagne has got an appearance the day of the recce game. Like the, of the induction game, okay. which means he'll be in town that weekend. So without confirmation, he'll I'm definitely be there. Is playing in the alumni game, almost hundred um, percent. Yeah, they haven't said that Briere is playing yet, but I gotta imagine like you should. Jonesy, Jonesy, they, they have to, they they gotta play and be on opposite teams. Come on, um, That's, Jonesy doesn't usually, but Scott Hartnell, like take the. I turn even said, you know what? The Bruins are gonna be in town. Can James and Ramsey come out and stand on like the oh Bruins? God. On the Bruins alumni bench, for a he's second. their honorary coach, right? Like just to be there because you know. And then you have literally in the building, you have all four goal scorers who were in that game seven for the Flyers. And oh, by the way, like, and we're still waiting for. By the way, there's another Bruins name that was added today um, that I didn't even remember that he was a Bruin. To be honest, it's a little bit yeah. before our time. Uh, but Ally Afraidy's going to play. I remember. Yeah. Okay. He's and and play. we'll and we'll obviously talk about those rosters when we get a little well, bit closer right. the to the, the, the All Star game. The yeah, we're starting to talk about whatever. And Bush is playing already, but we weren't sure who. Like, I think there's always a second goalie, right? Sure. So we weren't sure who it was going to be. And I actually even said, you know, Esh has played in a couple of these. He might right. do it. And it, but it was ironic that we're talking the same time frame that right. when Esh was a goal because Esh was Esh was the goalie. Checkmonic split time was when they wanted yep. Jennings. Absolutely. So so it's like. You know, it was just an it, it was ironic timing to wake up and find they that out. They split the Jetting, Jennings with some guy you might have heard of named Marty Brodor. <laughs> you know, did, did you think? Right. Um, you know, the guy who does the Enterprise commercials? Yeah. Um, has he done one of those recently, though? I feel like he has. It's been a couple years now. Um, now, now he's walking around rubbing elbows with all the execs because he's working for the Devils again. I know. Um, they, but, had too, they had this big thing with the stadium series. I, I know. But uh, I don't. I don't think Roman Chekmanic ever came back for a, uh, an alumni game. But I think he uh, would have. He was over. He was over. Like he was over in Europe for pretty much. the rest Yeah. Of the and, but I think know. he would have gotten a pretty massive ovation if he had shown up. I. Sure. It, oh, during yeah. that 
timed of that goalie carousel. He was, like I said, kind of the rock, um, the one really, really good goalie in that time. And even Robert Ash was playing his best hockey when he was splitting well, with Roman Czechmonic. One of the things that resonates about stuff like this, because this happened with the Recce Hall of Fame induction announcement too and things like that, is when you get things like this and the guy who's on this, like the Flyers obviously issued a statement about this. About of course, Czechmonic, of course. Yeah. And the name who's on the statement, who's giving you the statement is Keith Jones. Yeah. Who played with them both, yep. you know, like different ways. Absolutely. So when they're honoring somebody and it's Keith Jones's name plastered all over the press releases and, and their teammates of his and, and look, certainly you don't expect, I'm sure Jonesy in the same, the same way, you don't expect to be writing of a remembrance statement for a guy who's 52 A years former old. teammate. Yeah. Uh, former teammates, maybe in certain cases. Like it's fair. Fire, like, but... This is a guy who you, like Jonesy was playing 20 Late career. Ago, right. Right. It's like you're expecting to, you're not expecting to write like basically an obituary like statement for a guy right. who's 52. Right. You know. And Czech Monik did play most of his career with the Flyers. He spent 49 games with the Kings the year after, but then afterwards he just went back to Europe. So how about, yeah, but how about, and, and how about that, that irony too, that those two teams played each other the night before. Yep. You know? Yeah. Like, sometimes, um, it's, sometimes it's weird. Small world. The hockey world is a small world. Yep. He played professionally for well over six or 700 games. If I'm doing the math right here, most of it in Europe, um, well, over 150 games with the Flyers. Uh, he was also, Roman Czechmonik was the backup for Dominic Hasek at the 98 and 2002 Olympics. Um, probably the pinnacle of his career in terms of representing his country. Uh, I don't think he got a ton of time because Dominic Hasek was the best goalie on the planet at that point I in time. I guess he had no time because right. I, I don't even see stats. Right. But uh, regardless, he did earn that opportunity, you know, for a very long time. There was a real case to be made that he was the second best Czech goalie in the world. And the best was maybe the best goalie in the world. Here's, so here's, and here's the best example of that, by the way, because you're right. That was the heyday of Hasek, obviously. So it's like, yeah. of course, he wasn't. Playing. But what, what but that also means is that he was playing in playoff games a lot. Yes. So in 2000. When the Flyers, I think, were out of the playoffs pretty early. Or, well, no, not that year. I was going to say 2000 was the year they made the 90, run, wasn't 99 it? 99 they were. 99 okay. they were. 99 was first round. But this is 2000, so it would have been later, I guess. Maybe World Championships were also later. But he played in World Championships that year. Okay. 7-1 uh, record with a goals against a, a flat 2 and a save percentage of 925. It's pretty good. In Worlds, you know, for, che for Czech Republic as well, for Czechia. Uh, that was the year before he played with the Flyers. He was still in... And that's why, in because then Europe. Yeah. that's why he played in Worlds then, because and played that much, because he played in Worlds and the Flyers had Boucher at that time. So yeah, in the 2001 playoffs, he had an 891 in that six games. Been, um, I think I, you were right when you mentioned this earlier. Then that would have been Boucher, and I guess I think Neil Little was the backup that year. I think he, so. Yeah. that was Little and Van Beesbrook were splitting it at that um, time. So in 2000, yeah, yeah. In 2000, the 2001 playoffs, he played six games at an 891. In the 2002 playoffs, he only played one series, but he had a 936. That's because that's, um, all, the, um, that's all because that's only because the um that was the Devils, the, wasn't it? No, no, 102. With, that with was I'm saying they only oh, it was Ottawa. Okay, they only played four games and no, uh, they play, no, they played five. He didn't play in one of them. He oh, hurt, okay, okay, okay. And then in the following year, his third year in Philadelphia, played in 13 games, had a 214 goals against and a 909 save. I, I can't take anything away from it. That, but. Was the year, that was the year that they played the Leafs in the first round. Yep. I think, I, I, yeah, I think it was first round, right? They got six wins. So, yeah, they, yep. they won a series against the Leafs, and then they lost to 
I want to say not Buffalo. Somebody in that range. It might have been I'm, Buffalo. I'm blanking. I know who won the cup that year. It was the Devils. Okay. Well, regardless, uh, we do just want to send our condolences to uh, the friends and family of Roman Chekmanic. Uh, obviously, 52 years old. It's, it's far too soon, and uh, we hope that they can find some peace. And, and he had a hell of a hockey career. Nothing else to be said about that. So, Yeah, definitely. Um, Bad news to wake up to on a Sunday morning for sure. You know, absolutely and, like and and there's really no easy way to get to a transition out of here um but just follow follow the show on social media at ywt podcast uh we will be back next week for a show um hopefully in much better moods um sorry to end on such a, a down note like oh, this we'll, but we'll, we'll see no, we'll see about the better mood thing because it's gonna, we're gonna we'll see gonna, how it goes yeah. we're gonna record that kind of fresh off of a game so uh we'll see how the yeah. mood feels we will see. Um, like I said, follow the show on social media at YWT Podcast. Kevin is at Kevin underscore Durso. Find us everywhere you find your podcast, including sportstalkphilly.com. And uh, we'll be back next week. So, can, I get uh, a, can I get a footnote in on the uh, social drop, by the way? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. I don't, I don't know if you've seen. You're not as big of a social media guy. No, I haven't. But, but I am. There's been a little bit more activity on Instagram this season lately. Okay. There's been some... Uh, there's been some videos, that, a couple quick, you know, quick little preview videos I've been doing, and in, in, this is in association with the station with 97.3. Okay. So we've been doing a little bit more of that type of stuff. Um, go and support those, please, because absolutely. Uh, you know, the view counts on them early because they're like we're do, we're doing these jointly, so it's it's going to the station's account and my account. So they're getting they're doing decent at the start, um, but we would like to set our sights even further, obviously, as we do this with more consistency. I've, I think I've been doing these since the first one I did was either before the Buffalo. I think it was before the Buffalo game, the first Buffalo game. Okay. Yeah. Um, that one or it was the second one. I don't remember completely. I was also under the weather for a little while. And my voice was shot for a little. So I kind of skipped out on a few of those for a little. Well, uh, either way. Support gl- those. Instagram, and Instagram's the same handle. So at like, Kevin, un- at Kevin underscore Durso. Check those out. Keep supporting those. And at, uh, at, at nine seven three ESPN on both as well. If you're uh, looking, there you at go. Station as well. Absolutely, there you go. And um, I think that will do it for us here this week. Uh, we go out on, like I said, a little bit of a solemn note, but uh, we'll be bringing the energy next week. So we'll see you.